Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Uncertainty, loneliness, boredom. These are some of the common challenges just about everyone has faced during this pandemic. But I have to say, you know, for children especially, figuring out how to navigate some of these emotions can be pretty unsettling. Socializing is limited. School just isn't the same. I hear this all the time from my girls. Many parents are at home more, and a lot of the time the parents are pretty stressed as well. So today, to talk about how to best support children and their mental health during this time, I sat down with clinical psychologist Lisa Demore. You may have heard of her. She is an expert on childhood development. She writes a monthly column for the New York Times on the topic. She's also the author of the bestsellers, Untangled and Under Pressure. She also hosts her own podcast, which is all about getting kids through the pandemic psychologically intact. It's called Ask Lisa, The Psychology of Parenting. We talked about the concerns that we have for our own children. We talked about how to get kids through virtual learning, if that's your situation. And also what Lisa tells us, kids are saying themselves that they need and want from their parents right now. Sometimes it's not what you think. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. And this is Coronavirus, Fact versus Fiction. I have to tell you, you know, selfishly, as you, as you may know, I, I have three teen and tween girls. And so I've really been looking forward to this podcast. I mean, I think it's that uncertainty, you know, that uh, has been so, so, so challenging, at least for my girls. You know, I was, it was missing birthdays. We can't plan anything, you know. Um, but, but what is the right balance, though? You want to be reassuring, and yet they see the numbers on television of the numbers of people who are become infected and dying. They, they watched what happened at the Capitol. Honesty and hope. How do you how do you find the balance? Well, so one of the things I've drawn on as I've tried to think it through is um, I did a lot of training around divorce and um, helping kids through divorce situations, which are you know hugely destabilizing, very um, scary, very chaotic. And one of the pieces of guidance that worked really well there, that works really well here, is you can say to a kid, okay, here's what we don't know and here's what we do know. So in a divorce situation, we might say, we don't actually know how things are going to shake out in terms of housing. We don't exactly know how things are going to shake out in terms of what your school plan is. We don't exactly know all of these big, scary things. Here's what we do know. You have two parents who love you. We will see you all the time. Your needs will be met. You know, you will be cared for. We will have a good time. So you bring it down to that. So we can do the same here. We don't exactly know how everything is going to come to an end with this pandemic. And we don't exactly know when it's going to feel like the political situation has calmed down to something that feels a little more stable. But here's what we do know. We're here to keep you safe and we're going to do our job. I mean, and that's what kids need to hear. Like, is my immediate under control? That goes a long way, I imagine. What about, you know, the... the there's been a lot of isolation, obviously. And, and again, I mean, you and I are in some of unique situations. It's five 
teenage girls uh, between us. <laughs> I, my 15-year-old in particular, there's these, she's doing fine, but there's these feelings of loneliness. Um, and, and I'm thinking, you're with your two sisters, you're with us. But her friendships, which are so much at the center of her life, they, they've been cut off, at least a lot of the face-to-face part of it. What do you do as a parent for a teenager, in this case, girl, who feels lonely? I think there's a couple things you could do. One is empathy, empathy, empathy. In no, in no way minimize you know, her sense that this is somehow awful because it is, in fact, actually awful. And that goes really far just to offer straight-up empathy. I think another thing is to not lose sight of how bizarre this is, even as it extends into a year. I, I worry that as we just get accustomed to the, um, you know, the demands of the pandemic, that when a kid says, oh, man, I really want to see my friends, that it's easy as a parent to be like, oh, come on, you know, you can't do that, when we really should stop and say, I know, and this is bizarre, and I am sorry, we'll figure something out. And then the third thing is to figure something out. Hmm. Kids can safely see their friends. It takes some doing. It needs some supervision. It might have to be outside with masks. The first thing I did this summer is I bought a fire pit because I knew the winter was coming. I knew my kids would need to see their friends. And I thought before everybody else buys a fire pit, I went on Amazon and for 180 bucks, I got us a fire pit. That's how my kids are socializing. So you were planning ahead. I love that. You know, the, the pre-COVID, so I'm talking, you know, sort of December, a year ago now, roughly, it was all these stories that we were doing about screen time <laughs> and social media and all that. And, you know, here's the right amount and you know, everyone's, everyone's got to figure it out. And then obviously we go to virtual school and, and all this, just the texting and the social media. Are you more permissive during a pandemic? I think we are. I think it's, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures. But I think when it comes to screens, there's two guardrails for parents to keep an eye on. One is what's on the screen. And my rule for screens is whatever's on the screen, it should not be yucky, right? So it shouldn't be violent. It shouldn't be porn. Or it shouldn't be you acting like a jerk on the screen or somebody acting like a jerk to you. So that's take that, that off the table right out of the gate. Then the second parameter on the screen, and this gets to your question about like, well, how flexible should we be at this point? Screens should not get in the way of healthy development and what's required for it. Okay, so what's required for healthy development? A good night's sleep. Physical activity, face-to-face interactions with people who you're actually looking at. It shouldn't get in the way of studying. It shouldn't be the case that kids are doing their homework and toggling back and forth between their homework and their, their socializing. And it shouldn't get in the way of helping out around the house. So rather than being against screens, before those things. And, and, and crowd out as much screen time as possible with sleep and studying and hanging out in person and being physically active and making yourself useful in the house and the community... And then screens will fill in what's left. And for now, I think that's going to be okay. I think that's a good way of of putting it. I'm not taking away your screen, um, but there are certain parts of just, you know, being a participatory human being uh, that uh, are important. I don't want you to miss out on. Well, you know, I kept my kids out of of in-person learning. We had a choice at our school um, and we decided to keep them out at least initially and let them go back a little bit now. But it was, it was tough to get motivated, you know, uh, around remote learning. That, that, was, that was a challenge, and I, I, you know, I think the teachers did their best. Uh, but are there ways to help kids shift their perspective to be more motivated when it comes to remote learning? 
Yeah. Uh, one of the things I'm hearing universally is that um, motivation for kids is in the toilet <laughs> when it comes to remote learning. I mean, it's just, it's not that fun, no matter what teachers do. And in the spring when everything shut down, my then um, high school sophomore daughter said, Mom, they took away everything that makes school fun and they just left us school. <laughs> I think that that's sort of <laughs> right. the reality. And what I recommend is that this is a good time to have a conversation we should always be having with kids about thinking about themselves having two different gears they operate in when it comes to motivation. Hmm. So one is you want to do it, right? And we all have work we like and want to do, you know, stuff that you're like, oh, I can't wait to read that article or I can't wait to do that surgery or I want to see this patient. And then we all have stuff we have to do and we have to find a way to make ourselves do it. And there's no shame in having these two gears. Everybody does. I love my job. And yet on a Friday afternoon, if I have to start a column, I'm like, okay, write 150 words and you can have chocolate. Write 150 more words and you can have (laughs) coffee and chocolate together. So what we can do in this moment is pull back the veil about how functioning adults get stuff done when they don't want to get stuff done. And then really help our kids to do the same. Okay, what if this work do you want to do? What if this work are you going to have to make yourself do? Do you want me to swing by you know, every five minutes with a cookie. I mean, like, you know, whatever it is. I mean, that may be too much. But to just normalize the idea that, of course, you don't want to do it all. For me, I want to talk to my kids, but I also don't want to just get into the how was school today? Fine. You know, what is the right way to to sort of get at some of these issues? I think the right way, honestly, is to wait for them to put it on the table. I think it's... I think it's um, It's so often the case that an adult has like a wish to talk about something or an agenda to talk about something and they roll up on their kid and their kid's like, whoa, 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 I was just about to go watch my TV show or I'm off the clock right now. (laughs) But then I hear all the time that kids will tell me in my practice, you know, like, oh, like I tried to bring it up and my parent was on to something else altogether. And so what we have to be mindful of is kids pick their moments when they're ready to talk. And, and I think we want to be available in those moments to say, well, tell me a little bit more. Or what else are you thinking? Or what did you hear? And to go where they take us. Um, and I think it's hard when they pick those moments when we're about to sit down to figure out some email or we're, about, we're trying to put them to bed. You know, often that's when kids want to talk more and we sort of um, want to shut things down sometimes. So I, I think the key, I think the two ways to really stay engaged with kids, one is keep your ears open for when they've actually put the conversation on the table. And, and, you know, often you'll hear this around um, parents saying, like, I want to have the drug talk with my kids or I want to talk about sex with my kids. And it doesn't go well because the parent has, like, set the agenda and is in the mood to talk about it. But then later the kid will be like, so, did you smoke weed in high school? And the parent's like, we're not having that conversation. And you're like, no, the door was <laughs> wide open. Like, that's the moment. So look for the moment. But the other thing, and I wrote a piece about this for The Times titled, What Do Teenagers Want? Potted Plant Parents. What teenagers really like is for us to be around and us to be available, but not to have an agenda, but when they're ready to talk, to know where to find us. So I think especially as kids move into adolescence, part of having good conversations is being available without an agenda in case your kid wants to have a good conversation. And, And I think that's something we've been able to do a lot more in the pandemic. We're home a lot more. I think that's really good advice. What about what about for parents? You know, I mean, my my wife and I, I mean, you know, we raised three girls, and again, we 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 love being parents, but we also would could get a night out to go out to eat. We could go do that stuff. We haven't gone to a restaurant since March of last year. I know. What, what do you have recommendations for parents? Um, take really good care of yourselves because. 
that's the only way you're going to be able to take good care of your kids. Oh, I know. I long for restaurants. I, I actually now play restaurant at home. I like set the table very beautifully and like <laughs> use way more dishes than are necessary um, because I miss restaurants. So um, what I would say to parents is focus on coping. Focus on your coping because your kids are watching. So however you're coping is how your kids are going to cope. And when I say coping, I mean getting a good night's sleep, being physically active, eating well and enjoying food, you know, staying in touch with people you care about. And and coping, you know, especially over such a protracted period of difficulty, it gets hard to actually maintain good coping because good coping takes effort. But it actually, the longer this goes on, the more important the good coping becomes. And and one of the ways I think about coping, both for you and also for kids, is um, it doesn't stop the problem. It doesn't make the pandemic go away, but it buffers the impact. Have you had hard moments? Uh, have you have you had to employ your own strategies to sort of get through oh, this? Oh yeah, no, I um, I have plenty of hard moments, and um, and I really am very serious about the coping piece. I I um, for me, coping is exercise. I really like to exercise, and and my main form of exercise is actually walking with a friend, and so one of the things that I would say more than anything else has gotten me through the pandemic is that I have a very dear friend and we walk together five o'clock Tuesdays, eight o'clock Saturday mornings, and we protect it um, very, very carefully. And um, man, I showed up for our walk a week ago Tuesday in the worst possible mood, absolutely rip-roaring, awful mood. I don't know what it was. And I spent the first lap of the walk absolutely venting. And then by the second walk, I would lap, I was okay. So I, I think, I think, we came into the pandemic, and this was really bothering me at the time, with the wrong definition of mental health. And, and this was a definition of mental health that I, I fear was sort of handed to us by a wellness industry. And that definition was, you know you're mentally healthy if you feel calm and relaxed all the time. Okay, this is total nonsense. Like, that, that's not a human possibility. The definition of mental health, and this, this if we could leave the pandemic with this in, 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 intact, I would be so grateful. It's that you have the right feeling at the right time and the capacity to weather it. The right feeling at the right time and the capacity to weather it. I just, I just think that's so important. And this is such an important time to be taking care of ourselves and to be checking in with our kids as well. As Lisa said, sometimes all it takes is listening for those moments when your kid is actually coming to you. Don't miss those moments. And I think it's also worth pointing out that as awful and as inconvenient and tragic as this pandemic has been, it is possible that children may come through this with greater resilience, maybe even more valuable coping skills. We'll see. Hopefully the strategies they develop now will leave them better prepared to weather whatever challenges they face in the future. If you have questions, please record them as a voice memo and email them to asksanjay at cnn.com. We might even include them on the next podcast. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.